Oscar. Hey. Uh, can you hear me, Oscar? Yeah, I can hear you clearly. Fantastic. How are you today? Very good, very good. Every day is good. Yes. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective, maybe you call it a dream? of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril. Today we have an amazing guest. I'm so looking forward to speak to him and we've been trying for several weeks now and we finally made it happen. Uh, Oscar, how are you today? Very good, Cyril. Yeah, it's okay. been very good. I mean, it's a long time and, and, and obviously I was watching your escapades as you headed out to Hawaii, one of my favorite places in the world. In fact, probably one of my mm-hmm. number one favorite place in the world. Mm-hmm. And my intent was to arrive in, in Waikiki, uh, you know, that the, the final leg of the Molokai Hoi, right? The, the race across yeah. the channel. Yeah. And, and for me too, it, it's probably one of the favorite, uh, means a lot uh, to finish there. Uh, but we'll, we'll go into that after. Um, Oscar, tell us where were you born and, and where do you live now? And in between those two moments, where did you go? <laughs> that's a big question. Oh my gosh, you see, that's a, that's a huge, that could take a couple of hours, or a couple of weeks. A couple of years because I've spent my life traveling, and and I, I was born in Durban, South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, spent most of my my life in Durban, and then uh, only did um, that's that, that only uh, moved to Portugal six years ago, just north of Porto, in a town called Villa de Con for the last six years, but in between that, my average year. I've been traveling every year, normally three times a year from when I was 14 to about 20, 21, three or four times a year overseas from South Africa. And then eventually when I started Epic Kayaks and when I started, when I, when I was traveling around the world, I normally travel for about 200 to 300 days a year. So when you say where I've been and the funny places, the only places I haven't been to South America and, and Russia, but as you know, I followed surfski paddling and then obviously I was sprinting and I was doing everything. So I was following my, my passion all over the world. And then when I was in South Africa, I would travel all the time as well because I was in business and I would go from Durban to Cape Town to Johannesburg to East London to Port Elizabeth. Around South Africa, I'd travel 
frequently, you know, so all the time. I mean, I basically was on the plane solid for at least uh, 20 years, 25 years. Mm. Is this something you've already loved or you've grown to love? Or yeah, it... I love it. You see, and again, you, you just get used to going on airplanes. And, and obviously after 9-11, the security came up and th these mm. things happened. Traveling doesn't phase me one bit. I mean, not much phase me. And traveling doesn't phase me one bit. And I know how to work the system to get the best seats, to, to fly the in, most inexpensive and to have when I have to go business class and, 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 and love it and then have lots of champagne and have fun. So traveling mm -hmm. for me is no problem. And I always split up when I'm flying through Dubai, I'll go and coach there quickly. And then, so my life's always been, and my wife always gets cross, mm -hmm. is that everywhere we go, there's a paddling race or I'm teaching, I'm yeah. coaching or paddling. <laughs> and she always said, oh, I'm going to go to this lovely place, Tahiti. But the whole time she's just driving and carrying on to help me with my so we go past these beautiful towns I say oh look at that now we're going past Paris we're heading to Biarritz or, right. or, or Was Brest that a, or, a little bit of a frustration not to be able to stay in, in the spots or yeah I mean I just love being paddling everything it's very frustrating for Claire because she wants to go and shop at some places and things like that where where I just <laughs> want to go to the water and then obviously when I'm in places like Hawaii I do give her some days where she goes shopping but the bottom line is She's been there for 30, uh, 38 years driving, and she thought it would stop. First, she thought it'd stop when you get to 50 or 55 or 56, and then you got cancer. You can't carry on. I said, no, it's carrying on as long as I can survive. So she's driving. So she gets sometimes uh, pissed off, but uh, most of the time she doesn't mind it because it gives you a lot of time because if, you, if I'm doing a long paddle, four hours or something like that, she'll go to a shopping center and then pick me up afterwards. So it's fun. Mm -hmm. It's worked out. She's, she's worked out how to, how to drive. So it doesn't mess her life up as much as it, um, mm -hmm. for me, it's an essential, essential part of my team behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It must've been some, some adjustment for her to adapt to the life of a, an athlete like this to, or was it natural? Just I'll follow you. You're, you're making your life as good as you can. And, uh, yeah, so, so it probably was. I mean, I, it's, it's a question that you should ask her because she didn't even know that I was an athlete or what, who I was when I met her. And, and so mm -hmm. she didn't know that entailed that. And then being a, a very uh, thoughtful and helpful wife, she just fitted in and then it became more and more and more. And then it's just part, that's part of the lifestyle, you know. So you you realize it takes two i mean can you imagine if she was also an athlete it would have been a big nightmare so yeah. she looked after the children when i was traveling all over the world and then when i was doing down when she was driving all over the world and in south africa because obviously i was training a lot in south africa and now in portugal mm -hmm. tell me about your childhood and when you were raised i'm interested to to hear about your family environments, your siblings, your parents, how they were like. And... Yeah, so my father came out of Germany. He was in Mannheim. He was a paddler, top paddler, and he came to uh, South Africa after really? the war. And my grandfather was in the war, and he survived the war. My grandmother, uh, on that on my father's side, uh, lived in uh, near Freiburg, which is near the French border there, Freiburg, which is uh, near the Black Forest in France. And... Uh, she lived to 103, so she had long, long ever. My grandfather lived to 104. He had a, you know, he was shot a little bit in the war, but uh, 
he wasn't uh, bad. And then when the when they my father went through the war, war and his brother also went through the war. Um, so they're war babies, and most war babies, my gosh, they don't like spending the money. They mm-hmm. look after every cent, and they don't like wasting food and things like that because that's just what happened. Oh, and then yeah. he came to South Africa, and and he was already a good paddler in Mannheim, and he wasn't going to. And he came at age twenty, so he didn't want to go to the. They, they started conscript in the nineteen sixties, and he said, "No way, I'm coming to South Africa and stayed in South Africa." And why? Uh, why did he want to go there? I don't know why he went. Why they came to South Africa? Why? What? The, they had no family, nothing. They just thought the the weather was nice, and so the grandparents mm-hmm. and him came along. And then he got into canoeing. Again, he was already a canoeist, very good. And then and he was became the top paddler in South Africa by miles, winning everything. And and they used to make their own boats. Everyone was custom made by my grandfather. And my, and he met my mother, must have been at a hairdressing salon or something like that. My mother was a hairdresser from South Africa, South African. And then we, then, then, uh, was that Durban or Cape Town? Durban, all in Durban, all in all Durban. Durban. Yeah, not Cape Town. And then the interesting thing that we, that my mother had one baby every one year and three months. And we had four <laughs> of them. So three boys and a, and a, and a daughter, you know, and they, and they all paddle. So they did everything. So, Going out in a training paddle was five boats on top of the roof every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my sister was the first person to do the Port Elizabeth to East London race, which is 240 kilometers, and she was like 15 or 16, did it in a double with my dad. So one year, I won the race. Um, my father won the mixed doubles because she was the only woman paddling, obviously, and then my brother was paddling in a double, and my other brother was paddling in a double. So all five, and my, my mother was the second on that time. It was interesting that my mother was very much, everybody came to our house, all the paddlers after a race came to our house, had food, and she, and at the races, she'd always provide food and drink and things like that, just for everybody, you know, yeah. it was like the chuck wagon, it was the Chalupski chuck wagon, had soup on cold days, and, and I laugh, I mean, I started competing at by eight years old, I was, I was already uh, competing, and, and, and it was funny that I didn't get into paddling that much. I was I was doing water polo and cricket and uh, all the other sports, and not paddling so much. And I was swimming a lot, a, a lot of swimming. And then I only, mm. I obviously always paddled. And then suddenly, when I was thirteen or twelve or thirteen, then I started paddling seriously. And then I got seriously fast quickly because I was very big. I was very tall. I mean, to give you an example, at age fourteen. I was already winning the junior, which is under 18. And by 15, I was winning junior and senior, winning all races, mm. kayaking, swimming, water, even water polo. I was one of the top players. I already played for the, the, the state team at, at age, I'm trying to work at the age just a long time ago, at 14. And I was playing the national schools team for three for my last three years in the national schools team. And then, as I say, for five years in the provincial school team. So I was big. But the funny thing is, I was also very much driven. My father was a, a German, obviously. Being German, he said, okay, we're going to go swimming at six o'clock. And, if, no. and he didn't. Everybody thought, oh, he'd push you. If you didn't arrive, he, didn't, he, he went to swimming and you didn't arrive. You had to be there or he would just leave you. Yeah. He said, going paddling at this time, if you're not there, he just leaves you. It's up to you to do the, the training. So it was never, yes. never pushed. <clears throat> you all just followed in, in the sort of the, 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 
the, in his footsteps because he was went paddling, we went paddling, and then we went, then he started surf life saving, we went surf life saving, and then at school we were good at water polo, so the, the whole family played provincial water polo. Uh, yeah. There wasn't any women's water polo, so my sister didn't play, and my father never played water polo, but I did. So everything I did, I went hell for leather in, in it and very passionately. And he was, as I say, he was very good. He was one of the top paddlers in South Africa, if not the top. And and the funniest thing is he had to relinquish his German passport to make the South African national team to go to the Olympics. Mm. And then we were banned because of apartheid. So I never competed really as a South African for a long time, for a long time. But he, thank goodness, he only relinquished his German passport after the four kids were born. So we've all got German passport. Listen to this. Oh. And he hasn't got a German passport. Oh, that's interesting. He can't get it back. They won't give it back. And he speaks German. He's born there and he can't get it. <laughs> oh, wow. And tell me about your mom. Yeah, my, my mom uh, was, was a hairdresser and did all the hairdressing at home. So she, she first worked in some hotels and then she worked from home because with four kids, you can't go to work. Yes. I mean, you had to yeah. look after the, after the kids. She worked from home and she died very young. I, she died when I was 18 mm. uh, from cancer and, and my and 18, 17, 16, 15, my, my sister was probably 14. So she died very young of cancer. So uh, my, my, my sister Elma had to take over the motherly duties and the cooking and everything like that because we always used to have everything at home. So... Yeah, so she, she had a very short innings when you think about it, 48. I mean, that's very, oh, it's really very young. young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so we were on our own without a mother from young age. I remember, I think I was in the army at the stage when, when she died, yeah. And obviously a big funeral because she was so well loved. Obviously all the people that she did, did the hairdressing for and all the paddlers that came to have meals at our house all the time. You know, it was a. There was always ten or fifteen cars parked outside our house. We had a, a, a big house with uh, lots of parking. You know, and fantastic. And there were meals there all the time, so it was very, mm. very <clears throat> homely and and friendly. Everybody was there. Yeah. Did you keep that energy of being super open, doors always open in in your own family with your kids and their friends and just sharing good times. Did you reproduce that in your own family? Yeah, exactly. I do that the, exactly the same. Yeah, I've definitely reproduced that. And, and, and funny, again, we always allowed people to come train with us. So we had so many people. We'd have like five or six or seven or eight boats on the, on the roof going to, going to the harbor, which was 25, 20 kilometers away. So it was very interesting that we always, and, and my life now, even at a young age, even if you don't want, I'm going to teach you to be better, you know? So I always um, try and teach people and I'm always inviting people to come to see me and, and I'm always very hospitable. Nothing's ever changed. It's, it's sort of a South African thing that, that, I, that, I, that we carry on. I mean, in South Africa, it's very hospitable. Most countries, it is. And, and when, I, yeah. when I lived in Germany, you can see the difference between South Africa and Germany is day and night. I mean... Mm-hmm. I was living in the in the clubhouse in Munich in the in the Olympic regatta, and and I stayed there the whole time. Nobody even invited you out. If if I heard some guy was paddling with him, I was paddling with him every day, and yes. I'd invite him all the time. I do that all the time, and that nothing has changed. Yeah, 
Uh, this is something very familiar to me. I, th I think in France, the culture is also like this. Uh, and I was raised in a five kid family. We had, I have three brothers and one sister. And it was okay. always like open doors, like neighbors would come and the friends of friends, you won't stay over. And very easy, like, hey, let's make pasta. You want to stay over for, you know, it, it's like no big deal. We call it a la bonne franquette. Exactly, and, exactly. And we yeah. were exactly like that. I mean, I had, we actually had a lot of people that stayed in our house for, for extended periods, one year and six months, it doesn't matter. They just came in and we just made do, you know, and, and, yeah. and the reciprocation was always there. And, and it's, it's, it's very interesting, even in Portugal, they're the most friendliest people, but they don't seem to reciprocate yes. like I yes. do. I mean, if I go to somebody's house, I know they're coming back to my house as soon as possible because I, I like it. And, and I yeah. think it's just, it's just good manners, you know? Uh, you know, so when I moved to the U.S., I found this also very difficult for me that you just couldn't come in somebody's home. Hey, you know, I'm five minutes away. Can I come and swing by and have a beer or something? It, it's like a protocol. But I, I wonder if it's not the culture, but it's more the family culture. Like when you have a big family, you have to have that because it's chaos anyway. So <laughs> yeah. bring, no, I think, it, I think it is the culture because, I mean, they're all very friendly Americans, but you, but they never yes. and, and 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 a lot of them think, oh, we'll see you around. Oh, let's invite you. Let's come around, and you you wait, and it's like, oh, it just yeah. never happens, you know. So um, that that that's and and then you get, I mean, always the South African families living in America are like, well, come around for drinks and come. It's they always like that, and then and then again, I think it is a family thing. If you're used to having lots of family, then then you, mm. the people invite you. Although there's a lot of um, Americans that will invite you, you know. I mean, yes, and you just got to find those, you know, and then mm. obviously you reciprocate more and then they reciprocate as well, which is good, you know. So that does happen, but it's, mm. it's, it's very prevalent in South Africa, it's a very big thing, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. you see, also, I think also what happens is expense. So some people like going out is like a big thing and it's a big expense, they don't want to go out in case they embarrass themselves. With, it's inexpensive to cook at home and then there's no help. In South Africa, there's help. It's not a big deal having yeah. 20 people at your house. Yeah, it's much harder. So Claire says, oh, no, I can't have 20 people. Yeah, and of course, we still do. But I mean, because I've got to wash up, there's no help. Yeah, you know. So that also is a big difference. In South Africa, it's very, I mean, it's more social than anywhere in the in, in the world, I'd say, because of because of the help. Because, I mean, you have 20 people, you've got to cook for them and you need wash up the next day and clean the whole house you know and and that does make it makes it much easier you know so it's much harder to uh entertain when you've got to do all the work yourself you know it's just maybe that's the difference so this family environment created in you the love for other people right from connection and and then as you traveled you were talking about loving to teach. Tell, tell me more about this. What, what, yeah, do so, you, so, what do you get out of teaching? What satisfaction and feeling do you get out of helping others? Yeah, so, so it's, it's been inbred from me from an age of eight years old, because eight years old, I became a lifesaver. And then a lifesaver, you learn how to do mouth-to-mouth, cardiac massage, first aid, so you know how to help. And I spent a lot of time being a lifeguard. So in the lifeguard, you like saving people, not every day, but it happens quite often that you're saving people's lives and you're doing mouth to mouth. So I, I, I've had many incidents where I've, I've saved people and lost a lot of people dying. Some people, one guy was a 22 year old uh, 
a guy training for the Olympics uh, for 1992 Barcelona. He had a heart attack, and, and I spent one and a half hours doing mouth to mouth, but we couldn't resuscitate him. Mm. But I mean, it started there, and then I'm a perfectionist when it comes to getting the technique right and doing everything right, and and I hate seeing people doing it wrong. So if I see somebody putting, I say, hey, just lift your hand up and just do this. And then some people, can you believe it? Some, I mean, very few, because most people know if they're in the water and I'm teaching them. No, some people, oh, no, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's right. It's okay, <laughs> carry on your way. I mean, you, you yes. must be the top guy in the world, you know. It does frustrate me if people don't take my advice, because I know, and I, and I spend my life perfecting how to teach people and perfecting the technique to make it longer i mean there's not many people in this world at my age that go as fast as i do still you know and and yeah. I, I won the molokai at 49 years old i mean 49 years old the guy's got a long way before and and you're racing against the the guy who came second was uh clint robinson who was a, a double three. olympic or three olympic yeah and he and, and and these guys are fast and so i've had that passion and, and funny enough with olympics on now 1992 when I paddled the Olympics, I didn't do, we didn't do very well. Although we only had like a year and a half, most people spend their life because through apartheid, I could never compete in paddling at all. It was very close shop. So I used to just compete in events under different names and things like this, but, but we couldn't uh, compete in sprinting at all. So I didn't know sprinting internationally. And, I, and, and, and it's part of the thing that you missed. I missed it, so I ended up doing Molokas, but racing against all those guys in the Molokai, then the cellar descent in, 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 uh, in Spain, racing against them, but never racing for South Africa, always racing for Belgium and England and uh, Munich and Germany, but not for South Africa because we were banned. So I couldn't even, I couldn't do that. Really? So if, even, but all those years in 1992, when I had all these coaches teaching you and I had the Russian coaches and, and for the Olympics, and then we had the Hungarian and Swedish and all these guys. And then, Basically, it was like a, everybody was just cloning each other. They were just copying each other how to, how to paddle properly. So if you're Hungarian, oh, you're the best paddle. You just paddle like Hungary. I said, no way. I'm not doing that. Because when after the Olympics in 92, I, I raced in, um, in Hawaii against Clint Robinson, who won the Olympic gold. Then I beat him because mm -hmm. I did my training, my technique, and I got everything back to basics for myself. So that's why I introduced so many different things because I'm not following all the shit that the people just keep on doing the same and they think they all think that if you do the same thing you're going to get the, the <coughs> different results yeah. uh, like i changed my paddling 30 years ago already as soon as yeah no no yeah it's 30 years ago as soon as greg barton came out with the adjustable paddle i changed my paddle length in every race and people say oh you're crazy now everybody does it but it took them 20 years 20 years these stupid people didn't understand if you're paddling against a headwind in sprinting yeah. you must change your paddling to make yeah. it exactly the same because your speed won't be the same, you know. And the same thing is, and, and this is the next next phase of it, is that why have a feather? Why have a feathered paddle? What the hell do you think you're going to do with a feathered paddle? Feather yeah. paddles, when I started paddling, were 90 degrees. <clears throat> so now we progress to 60 or something. Now we've got a wing paddle. You don't have to worry about a feather one bit because it won't stuff your, your wrists up and everything. And, and I know because I saw 30 years ago when you did 80-kilometer paddles, the guys had tendonitis like you can't you couldn't paddle for yeah. three months after doing it yeah. and the guys with zero feather carried on paddling forever but mm. but you, you but you go and tell a sprinter hey you must go to zero they are 
And it's a joke that these people don't think for themselves or don't think out the box and they work it, they don't work it out themselves. And then I've pushed that envelope properly. Like, it's funny that I started dropping my elbows in 1992. Now you have a look at the Olympic final right now. All the people are dropping their elbow, all keeping, keeping the core working. So I was doing this 30 years ago. And, and, they, and they always said mm. to me, oh, no, Oscar, that's a surf ski technique. I said, yeah. You come and race me at surf ski. Yes. And even a guy like Greg Barton couldn't beat me. Even on flat surf ski days, he couldn't beat me mm. panting in a surf ski. So that's the difference because my technique was there because I've been thinking about I do 40, 50, 60 kilometer paddles and I'm thinking about my technique all the time. And people say, you're crazy. I said, that's how you get better. And that's how I've learned to make other people better. You know, I can take somebody and I can make them go faster within a, a 45 minute lesson. I can make them go faster. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, I said, yeah, because I'm giving you the basics. And, and, and again, I've been very analytical on how, how I uh, get good. Yeah. I have to tell you, thank you, because I've changed my feather to zero. Uh, because when I was looking to, uh, you know, 70 days of paddling, yes, I don't want any wrist action. And it actually came back to what the rowers do. When you do flat water rowing, you feather, right? You, the, the, the yes, blade yes. goes from vertical to horizontal and you, you yeah. do a wrist action. But when you do an ocean yeah. crossing, you, you row square because you don't Correct. want any action on the wrist. So when I, I saw your video, it was like, okay, I got to switch to zero because I don't want, if I do a million strokes, I don't yes. want to have any wrist issue. And uh, it took me maybe a week or two to get used to it. And now I can't go back. <laughs> no, no, you don't want to go back. You know, I mean, it took me a longer because I've been paddling for 40 years or 45 years mm-hmm. with the with the with the feather. So it took me longer. It took me. So I thought I'd go from from 75 to zero in one day, but mm-hmm. I was still racing. So if I probably could have done it if I wasn't racing all the time, because when I was racing, I, I, could, I was missing a few strokes. Because oh yeah, like, yeah. So 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 I went to like 75 to 30, and then to 15. And the last, it took me about a month or two to go from like 10 to zero. And then yeah. once I do that, now it's, 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 it's good, you know, and I've done a lot of miles at zero. And it's, and it's funny how people look at you and it makes me so frustrated. I, I, I see these, I, I'm in, in, in this club here and I see all the kids falling out and they just say, ah, oh, and I look how they're coaching and it frustrates me like you cannot believe. It frustrates me because... If you just taught every person how to brace, they would never fall out, and then their canoeing would be better. But you, I can't get it through their thick skulls. I mean, they are unbelievably stupid. Some coaches are unbelievably stupid. They just go right down the same path. No, no, no. You put, you take the seat out of the kayak so they get the balance. I said, I don't need any. You give me the most unstable kayak and the most worst person, and I'll make them stable within 15 minutes. And every day they practice their braces, and then they'll be paddling, never falling out. No, no, you can't do that. You know, we know how to paddle. I mean, it's a joke. And, and here I am in Portugal where, believe me, there are not too many Portuguese that are faster than me. And, and, and not once have they said, hey, Oscar, you should teach the, the Sersky guys here how to be good. You know? So it's funny how some people respect it and, and listen to it and, and, and work it out. And so, as I always say when I'm teaching, I say, don't believe me. Work it out for yourself. And believe in me, once you've worked it out for yourself, you'll know that I'm right. Just like you've worked it out. There's no mm-hmm. way you want a feather. This left and right feather is absolute bullshit. And I can tell you, I've gone into paddling and with a zero feather with a wing paddle into 50 knots of wind and you can't even feel the right. wing paddle. Exactly. No, no, yeah, yeah. You know? 
<laughs> but it frustrates me when people don't listen and they and they argue. It's amazing. I had this Ivan Lawless father. He's seventy-two, so he's been paying paying for sixty years. And he's no, no, no. It's a natural thing. I said, it's not natural. Just give a person that's never paddled a feather paddle or unfeathered paddle, and you see what's natural. And it's amazing. In fact, there was a guy in South Africa. He's got two daughters. He put one on sixty and one on zero. The one on zero is leaps and bounds ahead. The one on sixty is still struggling. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not natural. And it just shows you if you think you if you do something for thirty hours, thirty hours, you will eventually it'll become become natural. Yes. You think it's natural. It's not natural. You forced yourself to do it. So I really I really like how you went off on a on a rampage for with your frustration. Is it something that you used with yourself? to always improve? Like, were you frustrated with yourself and you had that level of, uh, I can do better, I can, you know, you were frustrated. Was that a fuel in your life? I, I, I get frustrated, but you see, the funny thing is in, in, in races, I, I'm, I'm always trying to perfect and, 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 and I swear at myself, like, like I do when, I, when I'm talking to you, I, say, I cannot believe, like when I was winning my 12th Malachi at 49, And I made a few bad errors in my stroke and I, and, I, and I was getting excited. And when you get excited, your technique goes out yes. the window. I said, hey, start using. And I was effing legs. Stop using your body. Use your legs. And then obviously, I, then I caught Dean Gardner and overtook them. And then at the end, won, you know. So, so, but I had to force myself to say, listen, listen to what, how you teach and you must get it right. And, 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 uh, and I shouted myself a lot for making mistakes and i don't make too many mistakes because i've spent so much time so much time uh Perfecting. doing technique yeah. doing technique all the time i'm just doing so much technique that 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 you become second nature that's why changing to zero it didn't take me too long because i did it all the time i kept on practicing to get it on zero and now i've been zero for three or four years you know so and, mm -hmm. and, and i and i don't i think i don't I'm, I'm not, I'm very aggressive when I race. I like to win and, and I'll, I'll go crazy to win and things like that. But I've, I've, that you don't, you can't let the pain overtake the brain. And, and you can't also let your frustrations overtake your brain. Your brain's got to be in charge and thinking yeah. all the time for you. So that's something that I, that I sort of worked on. I mean, when you're crossing the Molokka, the last 15 uh, minutes or 20 minutes is straight into the headwind after going downwind all this time. And you are, you've got, nothing left in the tank and then you've got to try and finish and the big thing that happens is when the pain comes you start worrying about the pain instead of your brain saying okay let's let's focus on let's do technique let's know where we're going what are we doing how are we doing it and that's why the real i still think the the, the best paddlers are the guys that can do downwind because it's mixing the top end speed with your brain to catch all these waves and use the, the, the ocean's uh, waves. And, and, and that's what I've done a lot of and, and sort of perfected it, I think, to nearly one of the best in the world. And, that, and that's, but it doesn't come, somebody said, oh no, Oscar, the reason why Oscar wins in, in Sersky is because he smells a wave. That's such nonsense, it's unbelievable. The reason why he wins is because he practices so much and he keeps on doing the same thing trying to be, get better all the time no matter what age you know so uh, uh, I was very weak after after my cancer treatment I could only walk 800 meters so I decided a friend of mine said oh you should try CrossFit because it, it's a good 
it's a good all-round fitness and and I, and I, because you you I was basically doing nothing for such a long time that you 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 become stiff and you you get, become weak yep. and then yep. now now I, I'm doing CrossFit three times a week to give me strength and 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 hopefully bring get my paddling better as well so and and it's not bad I mean if it's downwind it's 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 and this is the most incredible thing I hadn't paddled for one and a half years and I went downwind and I averaged. On a downwind, after not paddling, nothing, for nearly one and a half years, I paddled at 16.6 kilometers an hour. Mm. Wow. With never, understand, this is never even picked up a paddle. Mm-hmm. And I did it downwind because downwind is using the ocean. And, 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 then, and then I can really relate to the paddlers that say, oh, no, Oscar, you're not strong. Because I, I trained with Nello, Nello, the guy that owns Nello Kayaks. I trained with him. I said, hey, Nello, you're much stronger than me, but I'm beating you because I'm using my brains. And that's what you've got to do in life. And life is about not just brawn and, and just train harder and all this. I just do it cleverly. You know? so, so that's the difference between me and most people. And, and that's in work life, in every life, yes, in, in I like family it. life and in and, and the way I, I'm, I'm always trying to get the knowledge, whether it's knowledge and technique, like, like uh, you might have met uh, uh, Eric Borgness. I don't know if you come across him. Mm-hmm. He's an he's American guy who's a radiologist who he diagnosed uh, Joe Glickman with, um, with his pancreatic cancer. If it wasn't for him, Joe wouldn't even last it as long as he did. So, um, and he told me about this diet. 14 years ago now called keto or mm-hmm. living on fat. Yeah. And then I read up about it. And now I've become such an expert on diet. It's like frightening because every time in the car, I'm reading another book and learning more about ketosis and what makes it fast. And, and, and it's definitely, it's done wonders for me and it does wonders for people. I mean, I, again, I'll give you an example. I had a friend, uh, he was in London and he, he's very, he used to be a, 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 one of the, one of the family that one of the guys that used to come paddling with us and put the ski the canoes on the roof and off we go paddling is he put on 50 kilograms after he stopped and he's living in london no exercise and i just talked him through it again no making money i said okay this is what you're going to do and i and he eventually lost 46 kilograms so far so and again it's just showing him and i know it works and and, uh, and and I do it all the time to help people, just help people. I, so many times I stayed with people. Uh, Tertius Thompson in Adelaide, I stayed with him uh, for three nights. And he, oh, and he, he was fat and, and he was struggling and didn't know what, how to do it and what to do. I gave him the guidelines. Within three months, between him and his wife, they lost 40 kilograms, you know, and, and they're feeling so much better. And anybody I stay with, and my wife gets so mad because I get on the subject. If I see somebody that's fat and obese and I say, listen, this is what you're going to do. It's not difficult. This is what you're going to do. You're going to eat fat and this is how it works. And, then, and you can message me anytime. And again, you can see you message me. I'll message you straight back. I'm one of those people that never have any red ticks on my phone, red ticks mm-hmm. on email. I do everything now. I force everybody to do now. If I'm going to yes. do something, I'll do it now. You know, it's one of the, I'm one of those people. You know, I'd, and Claire gets mad if I'm in the car. I said, "Claire, do it now." No, because if you don't do it's it now, done. you might forget yes. it. You know, I mean, it's done. I like to getting things done all the time, and and that's been my psyche all the time. I'm going to go and train. Let's do it. You know, and I feel, oh no, the weather's shit. I said, I'm going to train. I said I was going to train. I'm training. I couldn't care about the weather or things like that. Mm. So, and and my and and that's what I'm like. So I do 
what is the word that I'm looking for? I, I do go overboard at everything I do. Everything, whether it was playing table tennis, whether it was playing snooker, whether playing squash, tennis. Like when I, I had a, like a super, super man competition, we used to have it called Super C, which was all the sports. So I was doing uh, tennis, basketball, jumping, athletics, soccer, cycling, uh, what other things were there? Uh, archery, swimming, mm-hmm. all those events together, high jump, all those events were together. And the best man used to win it. It's called Superman competition. I don't know what they call it in America. They probably also got that. So I did that. So then tennis was one of the sports. So then I played ten hours tennis a day. When I when I went from from getting banned from I won seven Molokas in a row. Listen to this. And then they banned me. Seven Molokas in a row, and then they banned me because I was from South Africa. There's no, you're not allowed back. Wow. And then I took mm-hmm. up golf, and I went from 24 to scratch. And then I was I used to get to the golf course at 4:30 a.m. And, and I was, again, always full-time working and then work and then come back to the golf course. And on weekends, I spend 12 or 14 or 15 hours a day just practicing so to get to, to that stage. So, so I do everything flat out or don't do it. And, and it's a saying that they tell, again, if you're not going to do it properly, don't even, do it. don't even start. Just do it properly and then you don't have to do it another time. So that's been my whole life, you know. So, so mm. I started and, and I got early success because at age age uh, 15 I won junior and senior Ironman that's in life saving and it was funny that it wasn't a it was a big thing in South Africa but not a huge thing in, in South Africa life saving to win it's the first time it ever been done anywhere in the world one month later Grant Kenny from Australia who's Olympic paddler and an Ironman did the same thing three uh, uh, one month later and he's three months younger than me so it took me actually four or five years to go and race against Grant Kenny and you talk about what made you do something? And, and I couldn't. They wanted to fly or Grant Kenny to South Africa. No way. Partake? No way. Me to go to Australia? No way. Couldn't do it. So I went, I went to a race in Hawaii where they said he was going to be there. And then when I got there, I realized that Grant Kenny wasn't going to be there. But he was going to be there for the Molokai because he'd won four Molokais in a row. And again, I had to make a big decision. And you talk about those decisions that you have to make in life is that I was at university on a rugby bursary doing a Bachelor of Commerce to become a CPA. And then what happened was I had to make it the, the, the tournament that I went to go and compete in was in like April, May. And the Molokai in those years was in October. So they said, uh, so I just had to decide, do I race Grant Kenny? I've been waiting four or five years to race. He won the junior senior. And then I went one, carried on three years in, in a row. You know, So I actually surpassed him in that. But this is an opportunity to race against Grant Kenny after four years of waiting to say, okay, now I can race again. I can, yeah. Because they, they allowed me. Otherwise, they wouldn't have allowed me because, as I say, was never allowed to compete, which is a big pity for, for, for my young age because I know I would have been super good. I know because I, I raced him and the first race I raced him uh, here in 1983, he had won it four years in a row. I mean, obviously, the excuse is, oh, he wasn't really training for it and everything like that. Typical. He, he came second, but I beat mm-hmm. him by 15 minutes. And the next time, I also beat him by 14 and 15 minutes. I didn't just beat him. I flogged him. So it, it was it was a sweet revenge after all those years. <laughs> and I never held it against him. And he probably didn't even know that I'd won junior senior Ironman in South Africa and he'd won in Australia. He probably didn't even know. But, but it is a interesting story to that, that this happens in life. You know, you, these things happen in life where you, You've got no control. And there's nowhere. I mean, 
even with a German passport, they wouldn't let me race after seven. So I won seven years in a row, and then they banned me. And they said, no, no, you've got, we know that you're training in South Africa. You can't train in South Africa, even though you've got German passports. And we tried everything, but they wouldn't let me race. So I got oh. seven years in a row and then stopped, took up 12. Wow. Listening to you, I can hear that your combination of, uh, obviously, I think your DNA, you're a natural athlete at everything you do, but together with, discipline and um i think the word that comes out is self like your your, your self-determination self-discipline like you 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 find things out for yourself right and that that belief that you could do any sport you could play tennis you're going to be good at tennis that strength of character of self-realization like when you talk about ketosis and going into a ketogenic diet You, you find out something that works for you and you search, you search until you find uh, is, is a strength. And I feel like sometimes a lot of people rely on other people to figure out things that, Hey, should I do this? What do you think? Stop. Tell me more about this, how that self uh, was born in you. And if you can identify, uh, but that self belief uh, that, Obviously, again, there's some athletic abilities that you were successful in that threshold after threshold, race after race. But anybody has to have find that to be successful in their own lives. Any comment on, on that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, the, the whole thing is, and 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 nobody. No, this is the funniest thing about my life is that everybody thinks I was a professional athlete. I don't think I ever had, not in my whole life, where I could just have somebody pay me. I've never been a professional athlete, although I mm. race against professional athletes. I've never been a pro I was always working, always having a family, always looking after the kids. It was not like I woke up and say, okay, I'm going to train. I've got, all, I've got 10 hours today to train. I never had that. So from a young age, and, 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 and I think it started even with my father saying, hey, I'll, it, it, I'll never forget. It was Nipper Ironman, which is under... 14. If you win the South African Nipper Ironman, I'll buy you a racing bike. And that's how it started. And then, so my whole thing started with understanding how do I get this racing bike? Because I really wanted that racing bike. And as I say, and as I say we didn't have uh, we went to wealthy family, so it wasn't like money was growing. It was like a serious thing. So, and, 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 and I always teach people, again, teaching people to say, mm -hmm. listen, the biggest thing, and I always ask questions, I'll even ask you, what is the most important thing when you're building a house? Foundation. No, exactly. Everybody says that. That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is vision. the plan. Is a vision. No. no, the plan. The plan. If you haven't got a plan, any foundation, this foundation can be skew or not, it's the plan. And, and, if, and, and, and I learned from a young age, if you If you have a plan and you write it down, 80% of your goals achieved. So that is the thing that you start. You've got to write everything down. Write everything. You write it down. Okay, write it down. And, and then, then most of the goal is already achieved by writing it down. So that's how it started at such a young age, 14. But a lot of people lack uh, longevity because at 14, and they, they, then they, get going, they go to parties and they say, oh, I'm not going to train tomorrow. And that's what happens in life is that people get waylaid or swayed by different people in their lives where I never can you imagine how many people have been racing since they're 14 and they're still racing at 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 58 mm. at the highest level 
all the time and 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 never and basically the only time I really stopped was when I played golf but I, I also did that at the highest level is to have this longevity and have this drive in your brain to say all the time and 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 I think what the the thing the, the self is that I love the life of partying and having fun with people and teaching people and I, I mean I, I know you can ask anybody that's met me they'll go and we'll have a lot of drinks and have fun and he'll talk shit and, and, and I call a spade a spade which I always do but <laughs> and the difference is the next day I'm there in the morning training so that I can mm -hmm. have fun the next day so I don't look like a beached whale I mean you must see some some people that get, throw it away so so it's a means to an end again so I, I make sure I, I watch Peter and I'll have a few bad days but I'll always get back and, I, and I'm, I'm always focusing on my goals I write write my weight goal down and I say I'm going to lose this much weight and I do it and I do it of course you're going to have these 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 uh, yep. side sidetracked parts where you, really, you have a night down say, what the hell it's like when I went to London I said okay one week I'm not going to train I'm not going to do anything but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still doing my intermittent fasting which I did I only, I only had breakfast twice in, in the week and most of the time, one meal a day. But that one meal a day was a lot. Lots of wine, lots of beer and, mm -hmm. and food. And then trying to keep, keep keto. But again, I, I, I put on 2.1 kilograms. By the time I, after one day back in, in Portugal, I've already dropped 2.7 kilograms. So I've probably lost three. So I, my goals, I, I, I've come yeah. back to it straight away. So understanding life, and this is the self-belief, is that, if you go off the rails, you must be able to come back on. And a lot of people, in fact, I had lunch three days ago with a friend of mine, also the same family of the guy that I made him lose 46 kilograms. He had the problem where he, once he started drinking, then he got into harder stuff. And, mm -hmm. and then, and, and now he's been not drinking for 16 months. He's got his life in order. His, his credit cards are coming down. His weights come down 12 kilograms. He's, feeling better, doing much better because he knows he's one of those guys. He hasn't got my determination where I can, I can have, like I did, seven nights in a row, drinking flat out, carrying on. But then when that stops, I stop, you know, and I don't yeah. touch it. And, and, and that's the personality. You, you, and again, I've said this on many occasions. I wasn't born a safety fellow. I wasn't born a keto expert. I wasn't born a swimmer. I wasn't born... I made myself that, and you, and to make yourself that, that is you've got to realize that. You, with I'm shit at, at, at burpees because I'm tall, but I'm gonna make myself good, and I'm shit at pull-ups. And, and when I was doing the Olympics, I was useless. But after a while, I could do 30, 40 pull-ups even at my my weight. So you've got to, It's up to you to actually realize that you can make yourself, and you talk yes. about self, whatever yeah. you want to be. I mean, like <laughs> like a, a and I keep on telling this to people. They say, oh, no, you know, you're a born salesman. I was a top salesman in, 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 uh, in my field in South Africa. And I'm pretty good in uh, selling kayaks for Epic in those days and now for, for Nello. And I sell thousands because, um, and it's not mm -hmm. because I'm this gregarious and this open and this. I know my product so well and I learned sales. In yeah. fact, as I told you, I would I would listen to to tapes, never listen to music. I'm listening to things that make me clever. So I'm never going to be one of those guys that think, oh no, you know, Hussein Bolt's tall and fast, and that's why the bullshit. I can tell you right now, Hussein Bolt trains harder than the next guy because nobody yes. in sprinting was that tall. 
you know, they, they mm-hmm. said, no, he's too tall for this. And, and I hear people say, oh, no, he doesn't run properly. He doesn't. I said, what? He's the most successful 100, 200 meter run in the world. And you say he's not good. I mean, some people said, oh, his technique's not good. I said, hey, but the bottom line, he wasn't born like that. He, yes, he, a lot of people are born with a little bit of extra talent. But extra talent means nothing until you use it. And the only way to use it, there is no thing is the, 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 the work and the determination and the discipline to do it because it's still hard work, no matter how good you think you are. There's nobody on this planet that just comes out and, and does it. I mean, maybe, maybe in skate, women's skateboarding you can because at 12 years old, you can win a silver medal and at 13, you can win the bronze medal. And you know, that's, that's a little bit different, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a sport that's very new. I'm sure it'll take a while so that there's going to be 18 year olds are going to be winning and not 10 and 12 year olds, you know, so, so mm. sport takes a lot of time to perfect and, you know, and, and some people put in the extra time. So they jump ahead of the rest. And I think that's what happens. You, you speak to any of the best players or the any best, even the, I was reading about Steve jobs. I was reading about these guys. They all did extra stuff. Steve jobs did extra work. Bill Gates did extra work. He spent seven, eight hours on a computer in those days when hardly any computer. Steve Jobs did the same thing. The Beatles, I heard, this is an interesting story. The Beatles spent three months in Hamburg playing every single night for four yes. hours, five hours a night. And that's where they got good. They didn't just become good. They yes. weren't good. Is that the, the 10,000 hours? Uh, yes, yes. Melvin Gladwell, 10,000 hours. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's in the book. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. And I, and I know... That's what I do, and you have to do it. Obviously, I like I'm I'm the person that's always trying to shortcut everything, try and make everything a little bit easier. That's Are you I, really? Yeah, How I'm, can this be more efficient in everything? Exactly everything. So when I when I get in my car, and the GPS says you're going to get into Lisbon at ten twenty three, I'll make sure I beat it. But I, that's that's easy enough to beat. You just break the speed. But I want to beat it and have the best fuel consumption. So it's like two things that you got to do so you got to really concentrate on your driving and, and while i'm doing that i'll be listening to 10,000 hours or the tipping point or whatever book as well to make that and clear knows i'll put the air conditioning on when i'm going downhill and off and uphill so it's, it's it's like a it becomes fun driving it's like when i go and paddle i never just go and paddle i'll, I'll always go and paddle downward but if i paddle on the flat it's always doing technique i don't i don't do any 10 kilometer paddles or 15 kilometers always just technique technique or downward nothing else mm-hmm. nothing no no intervals really although my technique session has intervals but i don't do anything nothing mm-hmm. and, and it's always about focusing to try and make my body more efficient everything and and, and that's why i never forget in 2004 i was racing against hank who was the i was 44 already which is in most people the head and we arrived at the at the this world championship event where everybody was there dean gardner T- tim jacobs all the best of the world. We got to the harbor and I'd done my homework and, and the finish, if you went straight, was about one and a half kilometers of total flat water or side wind, side, uh, howling side wind. And oh. I'd worked out that I would have to, I'm going to go 1.4 kilometers to get to the same point. And Hank was neck and neck. And we took off. Hank went the straight route. I went up the side there and I beat him by 30 seconds. And this is the current world flat water marathon champ who was mm-hmm. in his prime like you can't believe. Because I use this again. It's 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 those kind of things that my whole life is about trying to make it easier and simpler 
all the time, no matter what I do, no matter what I do. Mm. And I think that's important for most people to find different <clears> ways. <throat> and you have to find it. Not you don't have to. Yes, you're going to learn things from me, and you're going to learn things from you and from people around you. But then you must own it and and realize how to do it yourself. Yes, I agree. I, it's funny. I'm I'm a little bit the same way. Uh, I remember when I was 17. I went into this factory. I had, I had to find an internship. You know, in high school, you have to work. And so yeah. I went into this factory for Bon Duel. It's a French that they, they do veggies. And I was on the line and you have the packs of veggies and all I had to do is pick them and put them in a box. Pick them, put them in a box, close the box. And after two hours, I was trying to find the best way to be the most efficient at putting the bags in the box, the less energy possible. So it's it's a mindset, right? <laughs> it's funny. I, I and I think it could be applied to anything. I go in my car and I'm thinking, what is the best way to sit down and put the belt the most efficient way? So it's ridiculous at some point, but you may have the same same uh, patterns in in your life. Tell me more about the separation that you could do that you were talking about earlier between the physical pain and the mental calmness. And I've heard that a lot when you could be at that point where the, the, the physics is under stress and you're still calm in your head, like uh, physics under stress, you're sprinting hard, but you're always in control. And how that skills that you've developed has helped you in battling your, your cancer now, because I'm sure it, it's, it's something that you've used. Like my body is suffering, but my mind is, tell me more about this. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine I was sitting, I was sitting right as, in fact, I was sitting here, I was speaking to Eric Borgness and things saying, uh, you know, you've got secondary cancer, you've got four to six months to live because this is spread everywhere. It's metastasized. You're in trouble. I was sitting in this, in this chair and Claire was there obviously Claire started crying Claire said I cried a little bit but maybe only a little bit but I re then I just said hey what the hell I've done enough in my life so what you've got six months that's much better than getting run over by a bus so she there's a lot of positives yeah mm. and uh, and I said okay he said no you must be next to your family so you get good support for this you know fight this thing and I said no, I'm going to fight it and again but I, it was it was Funny that if they said, okay, well, now we've got to find out what this cancer is. So I was going to South Africa. So I said, okay, I'd rather go to South Africa where I can speak the language. And, and, and I know lots of people in South Africa. I know lots of doctors. So we went there and then they told me I got multiple myeloma. I still didn't know. I said, oh, what the hell? So when can I start paddling and how quick will this be? A couple of things of chemo and, mm. and I was in serious pain and a bit of radiation. He said, no, no, it's a little bit longer. It takes a year, one year of treatment. First 10 days of, of, uh, of radiation to shrink the, the, the tumor on my spine that ate away my spine. And then um, six months of chemo for two and a half hours every single day. And then a bone marrow transplant or a stem cell transplant. And then, you, then you're on your way. Then you, you go. You know? And at no stage, at no stage, and, and even the kids and everything, do you think dad doesn't even seem to think that he's got cancer, you know, because I would finish my chemo session and have a bottle of wine or two. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to let this. And most people having this chemo actually would go and stay in hospital. That's how bad it is. And I just had the mind to say, <laughs> I couldn't care. And, and, and at one stage it, there was pain, but I never changed my lifestyle, never 
let it uh, get in my way. And that was 100% mental. Because when the radiation, it, it radiated me here. So it burnt my esophagus. So it was hard to eat. I mean, I couldn't eat and I drink. And I couldn't, I, in fact, and for me, not to eat and drink is a difficult thing. I mean, not eating, but drinking. I love my beers and I love my beautiful wine and, and my champagne. I couldn't have any of that. I couldn't, couldn't taste anything. And I was like so mad. The only thing I could have was Guinness. And very expensive red wine at work. So, but I, and the, the red wine was like a glass like this. And then once the, my esophagus healed, yeah. and when I, after I have, still having chemo, I could drink normally. And, and everybody said, oh, sheesh, you've just had the chemo. Yeah, I just had my chemo now. And I would go and I'd have these two ports in my, in my chest to put the chemo in. And, and uh, people said, oh, you're crazy. What are you doing? Surely you're not allowed. I said, I don't know. Nobody told me I can't have a drink. It's making me normal at the end of the day. And that's what I did. So, And through this whole thing, and I've just said, okay, well, now I'm going to start paddling. They wouldn't let me play golf. And then I started playing golf again after, after more than a year and a half, not, more than a year not paddling, uh, playing golf. And then I played golf. And again, I started my whole new golf swing. Uh, and, and funny enough, my, my handicap was came down, I was probably playing up 20 to like five or six handicap. I was shooting five and six, seven over par. So just showed you, I changed my whole mindset even on golf. You know, I had no power because I was very right. weak. Right. And the same thing with paddling. I said, okay, my paddling technique was always used utilizing the wave and I just perfected that a little bit better. And then I just made, thing, make, made things happen. And I said, I'm not going to let this thing. And when, when I was let out after being three weeks in the hospital, I would walk 800 meters and it would take me 24 hours to recover. 800 meters and then I'd try and do it a kilometer. And before long, within one and a half, one month, I was doing uh, 12 to 15 kilometers walking because I could only walk because they weren't, they didn't, because my spine is compromised. So that's what they'd let me do. So I walked and I couldn't paddle. They said, no, no, that's too dangerous. And, and then when I eventually could paddle, I, I did a downwind and I, and I was just as fast as most people paddling in a 520 because I didn't know how, what my balance was like either. So it was mind of a matter, but I never, when they, every time they gave me the bad news, it didn't really phase me one bit. And, mm. and you know, and, and it phases more people around the world. And, and, and that's why it was my first, when I did my first post, post on, on Facebook to say, okay, I've got cancer and I don't know what it is. And then, and I sent them the video, the, the, I posted the, the the tumor in my spine, and they and and Claire and my and the sister said, "No, you mustn't do this." I said, "You've got to let people know. People want to know, yes, and it can yes. help people." And it and it was funny how you react to a cancer is interesting because I had another friend that didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So he got no help. He got no support. He didn't even tell his kids. Didn't tell anybody. Told his wife. And he just went downhill fast. He had no support. So nobody was like encouraging him and giving it. And people don't realize. And it's like in a race. When you're in a relay race or a team boat, if you've got people there saying, hey, come on, Oscar, you can do it. You can do it. Of course, it's going to make you positive. So this guy never put anything. And he died within six months, similar treatment as me. And here I am uh, one year and one month after my bone marrow transplant. In fact, I can go in the transplant games, by the way, the world transplant game because i've got a new body here yes and uh, <laughs> so it's something I can, i'm trying to work out where what what sport i'm going to do in that but it is interesting that i posted that and the amount of information i got from people going through the same thing and the amount of 
help and 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 uh, yes. and, and help that I've given other people has been so encouraging for me to say. And and if somebody yes. sends me a message, I say, hey, good thing, you know. And that's why I post everything. If something is happening, oh no, I've cut my, they took, they cut half my ear off, and I've had lots of things happening. I just put it there. So oh, so what? I'm going to have wounds now when I go against the wind, you know, because I only got half an ear on one side. And it doesn't matter. Then I, they cut my head open. They wouldn't let me paddle for two weeks. So that's happened. So I said, okay, carry on. Then we can, we can, uh, we can walk and we can do those things and then don't get too much uh, blood all over you. So, so in life, that's, that's been the story. I've never actually really worried about, about any of these mishaps, you know, they, they're just yeah. there and you take care yeah. of them and off you go. You, know? you seem to be, to have this philosophy of, of being able to adapt to any condition and very swiftly understand what is the best way for you to adapt to the new conditions. And like, okay, let's look, take back to when it's kayaking, you talked about that downwind or that sidewind. How do I adapt to this? Very fast. Or you were losing strength. How do I adapt to this? And it's such a great skill to have for getting old. Like, okay, you know, conditions have changed. How do I adapt to this? But still always searching for the best way for that moment. And it's an amazing skill that everybody could, could learn about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, you, you've got to just keep going forward. But again, don't waste time as well. Also, it's, it's funny. One of the early things is that do the most. Just make sure whatever you're doing is helping you to forward yourself in life. So if you're sitting watching stupid TV and you say, is this the most constructive thing I can be doing now? And you work it. And if you just tell yourself that quite a few times, you'll find that you're saying, what am I doing watching this? I'm going to go for a walk. Or I'm going to go for a run. Or I'm going yeah. to... That's what happens to a lot of people. A lot of people have got all the time and all, and they just don't do it, you know, because yeah. they think tomorrow's another day. Tomorrow's another day. And, and that's also, you've got, to, you've got to do it now and get it done. Whether it's whatever, all those goals that people do, do them now. And then it's the nicest thing because then you just get to find another goal and another goal and another goal. You just improve and improve and improve. And that's, I think, what I've managed to do quite well in my life is that it's just another goal. And then there's another goal. Okay, I've done so, the World Championships. Now I'm going to go to the European Championships. You know? I, I feel like those are characteristic of a, an older generation like you and your, maybe your parents. Do you feel like the new generation has less drive to be that way and were you able to teach that to your kids that way of you know the funny thing is i don't think they've got less drive they just want instant gratification yes so most of the people are playing on golf i saw to my son my son's a perfect example he's a magnificent golfer but oh, i'm not scoring good rounds i'm not i'm gonna stop with that yes you know he's, although he's very determined did it but it also didn't last didn't the longevity is not there because they realized it it all it came too easy because our when I was there, it just was, wasn't easy because I never, I, I had no cars when you got your age group and things. You, you, I cycled to swimming, which was 30 kilometers away and then swam and then cycled back at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. There was no cars and no taxis. And now they, they got it easy, very easy. They, like, they didn't even realize, I mean, and, and that's when it comes to finance as well. I, I'm one of those people. I, I obviously started some, some uh, very successful companies and, but through that, also you have bad times where it was the funniest thing. My daughter went to the most exclusive school in girls' school, or one of the most exclusive girls' school. 
and and they said I, I couldn't pay the school fees. I hadn't paid the school fees on time. They said your daughter can't come to school. I said that's fine. I'll get the money. Don't worry. So she stayed at home. And and I said, Dad, what must I tell? Well, just tell me your dad's got no money. Mm. Oh, okay. And again, that's it. That's the truth. And the difference yeah. is that I'll always pay you back. And of course, I did. And she 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 managed her uh, life, and I paid it. But there I had I had no money. I was there. I was well, I was uh, starting a new company, and it was at the epic kayaks time, and we had no money. So no money. Sorry, no school fees. But I made a plan. I made a plan and made it happen. And she carried on that school all all her life. But I mean. That's what happens. It happens in finance. It happens in relationships. It happens in sport. It happens in life. You're going to realize you're going to have these roadblocks or these speed bumps or these potholes. And it's how you how you uh, how you manage that situation. It's it's just a management thing. It's like like when when people say, "Oh, you got no money. Aren't you worried? Worried about what? If I got no money, I must go and work harder." Mm-hmm. You know, or yeah. aren't you worried uh, that the, about the COVID? I said, well, what do I do about COVID? Okay, I'm going to wash my hands more. I'm going to put a mask on and then I'm going to be fine. You know, so there, there's, there's nothing. Because another old saying that I always learned is that if you go into a toilet and worry, and worry as like most people do, worry, and see yeah. if anything changes in that toilet, nothing changes. So you can go to the toilet and worry for four hours and see what happens. Nothing happens. You, you either do something or you stop worrying. Yes. Because yes. worrying doesn't help anybody. doesn't help anybody. And so many people, that's the biggest word. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about this. And yes. worry about friends. And, you know, but at the end of the day, do something about it. If your, your friend's going through a bad time, phone him. Then you stop. This. You don't have to worry about it. Phone him and say, hey, what's going? How can I help? That's yeah. it. You know, these are the things that you've got to do. And worrying is killing a lot of people and the kids of this day, they worry and they don't actually do something about it. So right. it's they, they want instant gratification and then they worry about things that, like what's happening, you know, what can I do with life? You know, so I think that's mm-hmm. the new generation is that this instant gratification. So it doesn't help with all these computer games and I walked around that we've got a craft market there and there, there's uh, spinning tops and uh, checkers and all these things but they don't play they play on their computer all day and all yeah. that you know, <laughs> you know and, and then if they're losing they're giving up and they're going to go into another uh, game on on their phones and their computers you know so we've got to try and get them out there so they and get them into sport and then that's in any sport you know and just get them doing things you know mm-hmm. yeah there's a big um, difference between successful being successful at something without persevering because you have the, the skills for it and that's very rewarding and being successful at something after having to persevere and after having that fight I think the latter later latter is very rewarding is, and it should yeah. be um, taught more um, perseverance is underrated compared to success I think sometimes you need to push through that hardship and And then you build those skills, uh, let's say, on a positive way. Like you have a hardship, but you, you succeed. And when the real shit, the fan shit comes, you have those skills to, to manage the hard, really hard hardships. But it is a skill to see the silver lining in roadblocks, silver lining in, in struggle. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was with a very famous Springbok rugby player 
Bobby Skinstead. And, he, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm writing a book now. So I'm writing a book. And, and, and I said, no, I've, I've achieved in business. I've achieved in sport. And I've achieved in health. And I've achieved anything. And he said, everything's all good. But the book would have been Mickey Mouse. He says, now, now that I've got an incurable cancer, it's much better. It's going to be much easier. It's going to be easier to sell. So you're like, what? You got an incurable cancer? You're happy about it? Yes, I'm happy now. My book will sell much better than if I didn't have it. <laughs> Uh, listen, Oscar, uh, we could talk for hours, I believe, uh, just <laughs> throwing ideas back and forth. Um, if you had, a, as a conclusion, if you had one takeaway, uh, one idea that people could take, take uh, they should remember, what, what would be the, the one advice? I know it's hard to, to sum up in one, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think what, uh, I said that early on, if you're going to do something, just do it properly. So that'll help you in life because because so many people and properly is that if you're going to get to the weight of 90 kilograms, do it. You can always go up again, but do it, do it properly. And the only yeah. way to do it properly is to achieve that goal. So it's these little goals that will get you the big goals in life that'll help you. So just do it properly. And, and, and again, yes. write it down, write it down, doing it properly. But so the first one stage back is to write it down and then do it properly. If you don't write it down and, and you don't do it properly, that's going to be your, your, your pain in your life for the rest of your life, you know, because mm. it's much easier to do something properly because if you don't do it properly, you're going to do it 10 times over. Yes. That reminds me of what my dad told us all our childhood. What has to be done has to be well done. <laughs> so exactly. it doesn't matter if you're cutting carrots, cut the carrots yeah. properly <laughs> and efficiently, Correct. right, Correct. Oscar? <laughs> exactly. I'm not good on the cooking side, I can tell you that. That's why I like fasting. I fast for seven days and have to worry about cooking. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, here's one question I've never asked in my other podcast, but I feel like you, you might be relevant for you. Have you had angels come in your life at some point? And, and who are they? I know. You, when you're in an individual sport, Unlike a team sport, you've got many angels. You need more angels as an individual than in a team because a team you can you can build around and you've got people to lean on and things. But when you're on your own and you're paddling out there for 80 or 90 kilometers, you have to have angels. And obviously, the the first angel was my mother and my father, obviously. And then yeah. you have have my wife who's been by my side through these things where through COVID. Can you imagine having cancer in COVID where you? She couldn't even visit her. The kids couldn't mm -hmm. visit. Nobody could visit. So, I think that's that's the the the, the biggest angel has been Claire for 38 years, hanging around, uh, yeah, helping me through these bad times, good times, and 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 that's what you need in life, you know. Yeah. The other people, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people because they, a lot of people are out there, but those they they're the closest, you know. And then obviously, your children are always there, but. Claire's been a, a rock and an angel all 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 my life, you know. So, well, most of my life. I'm 58 now. She came around at 20, so that's 38 38 years, which is a, most of my life, you know. So, you've got to thank those people that make it make it happen. I mean, the coaches, everything come and go. Everything comes and go. Your business friends come and go, but my wife has never gone. Mm. Fantastic. You're a lucky man, and she's a lucky woman. <laughs> <laughs> she, everybody says she deserves a man. I keep on saying, listen, I deserve the man. 
<laughs> Oscar, thank you so much for your time. It was it was uh, brilliant. I loved it. And uh, we'll keep following you. Where can people uh, follow you, your journey? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm on all the social media. I'm on LinkedIn, which is more business. Then I'm on uh, Instagram, which is more photographs. I don't, I don't go crazy. Then Facebook. I've got a, two Facebook sites about Oscar Chalupski and Coach Oscar Chalupski. Coach Oscar Chalupski is where I, I do all the coaching and I do the free podcasts and, and things like that to help people along the way. And yeah. then uh, Nello.com is, is where I work. So that's very easy to get a hold of me. But it's it's funny that it's, if you Google, and you probably can't Google, if you type Oscar Kayak or Oscar Sersky, it normally comes to my name. And then from there, it just opens up a whole ream of, of, of social media things and, and things like that. And then hopefully this book that I said, because I've got cancer now, it'll sell much better. So we'll we'll hear the whole story in black and white soon. Are you writing it or you have a ghostwriter? I've, I've a got story? a ghostwriter, not a ghostwriter. He's like a ghostwriter, but, but we write it together. And there's a guy called uh, Graham Spence and he wrote Elephant Whisperer. So he's got some successful books already and I've known him. How's this? He's the guy that took the photograph of me and Tom Selleck at the Outrigger Canoe Club. So he actually took that oh, photograph in yes. 1985. So I've known him for a year four years and he's followed me in the peace london race where i won my first one and 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 one of my first of 10 uh, wins in that race where he actually followed me so and we know each other well so i thought it was very fitting that when i decided when i got the cancer i said well let's do something about it let's write a book and, and it's going to be a book that's going to explain my life and, and and basically the five things in it is it's the the health the longevity the business the, and then the the family and then obviously the cancer story but it's going to after every chapter we'll have a, a life lesson to say okay because yes. as you say to get one thing i can give lots of life lessons and and you can see them through through not a biography it's more like a like a self-help book for for people yes. Yes. That, that, like, because as I said, and this is the you know, closing, is I'm not a professional sportsman. I've never, ever been paid full-time just to sit there and paddle uh, and, yeah. and swim all my life. Can you believe it? I, I, but I've competed against guys that that's all they do. Mm -hmm. So I've never done that. I've always had businesses, always working, always looking after family and, 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 and kids. So it's a very different. So I'm a normal person, very normal. That's just driven the right direction and and made lots of wrong decisions like most people and lots of right decisions and but made sure that i always did everything at full pace and did everything over the top to achieve you know mm -hmm. in every aspect of life awesome thank you so much oscar you're an inspiration to many and we never know who you inspire so keep uh, sending your message as much as you can thank you cyril have an enjoy enjoy and, and good luck for your next uh trip yes. to Hawaii. maybe you can use yeah. an airplane it'll be easier yeah? <laughs> no i hope to see you before maybe uh, uh if not after uh once the life comes comes back to being normal uh, international yeah. travel but i hope to see yeah, you soon fantastic. and we can share uh a drink together Merci beaucoup. Merci, monsieur. Thank you, Merci. Oscar. Thank <laughs> you, everyone, for listening. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it.
All right. Thank you so much, Oscar. That was fantastic. Perfect. Thank you I'll very talk much. To you soon. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank Say you. Hi to Claire for me, please. I will Bye. do. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, Cyril. Bye-bye.